Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. We will keep you updated on the traffic situation. But if you were listening to Jane's report, the 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 best best advice I could give you is if you are planning to travel southbound on I-43 um, between Brown Deer and, say, downtown, right now do not do it because I, I think they're estimating travel times at 45 minutes. There's two there's two big accidents. There's an accident, and then there's the full freeway closure, I guess, that we're talking about right now. So we'll continue to keep you updated on that. But if you're planning to travel that route anytime in at least the foreseeable future, my best advice would be uh, pick an alternate route because you're not going to be able to get where you need to go in any sort of reasonable time. So we'll continue to keep you updated on that through the course of the afternoon. Kind of a bittersweet day for me, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that as we go through the, the program. But on, on the positive note, if you follow me on Twitter, and a lot of posting since we spoke last two days ago, but uh, today, if you want to see what my pup looks like, happy birthday to Sasha. Um, Today is, in fact, her birthday, and I've got a relatively recent photograph of her up there. I was actually a bit late for work today because she agreed to take me on an extra-long walk, and I figured, well, okay, if she wants to go for an extra-long walk on her birthday, she gets to do it. So happy birthday to my Pomeranian pup, Sasha, who's been with me for a number of years. A couple other postings as well, including a story that I've seen it only on the the local website, Urban Milwaukee, which actually does a very, very good job, in my opinion, of of covering issues related to Milwaukee. Now, the website has a decidedly left-wing lean, but that's okay. That's okay. You just kind of take that with a grain of salt. But here's the story. And as a matter of fact, I've got a link to it up on Twitter. It's just, it's it's amazing. And, And you just go, how can something like this happen? Well, apparently, the city lost over 8,000 municipal citations that were issued between, uh, between October of 2020, January of 2021, and then, as it turns out, maybe for about 16 months. So what happened is over 8,000 citations issued between, I guess, January of 2020 and April of 2021, just disappeared from the system. The Comptroller's Office found that almost 8,000 of the traffic citations that never made it to the court system were lost. About 38% were for speeding, so, you know, uh, approximately, you know, you're well over 3,000 speeding citations just kind of disappeared. 21% for driver's license um, issues, 12% for insurance issues. In addition, 525 municipal citations for violations like disorderly conduct, assault and battery, and vandalism also disappeared. It just flat out disappeared. Apparently what happened is the way this is supposed to work is the police enter the citations in a system. The system then um, forwards these to the city attorney's office that approves them, and then they get forwarded to the municipal court. Well, somewhere along the line, none of these citations got forwarded. 
So you, you, you might have been one of these people who got caught for speeding once, twice, three times, or for more serious conduct, and the citation has just completely disappeared. Now, that they found that they lost 8,000 of these citations, and there is a two-year statute of limitations, so it is possible— I say possible that they're going to be able to go back and, you know, reissue some of these. I I don't know if that's going to happen. Some are never going to be be able to be reissued. For example, if the officer that wrote the ticket has now retired and it's not going to be in a position to testify in court or anything like that, these citations are are not going to, you know, they're not going to go to the trouble of reissuing them. Right now, it looks like the city is out about a million dollars in revenue that would have been generated had these things been done in a appropriate fashion. And at this point in time, there's a lot of finger pointing going around as to how this happened. I guess the point I raise on my Twitter account, you, again, you can follow me, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 is that if a business did this, if a business just suddenly lost 8,000 bills and receipts and, and never wrote them, my guess is heads would roll. But of course, this is the city of Milwaukee, so probably nothing is going to happen. 8,000 citations issued in a 14-month period have been lost or, quote-unquote, temporarily lost. be interesting to see how many of these are actually really reissued. Meanwhile, you know, people who've been chronic speeders, they've been able to get away with it because the system just completely and totally broke down. All right, when we come back, let's talk about compassion or lack thereof. Stick around. More Jeff Wagner, right after this. WTMJ Breaking News Center, I'm Jane Mettner. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Yeah, the only, there, there, look, there, there's no good news when it comes to the, the problems on a Friday afternoon with the freeway, except that... In this case, it's a backhoe, which has fallen off a trailer, and they'll presumably be able to get it out of traffic relatively quickly. Remember, we went through that period of time. It seemed like every time there was a freeway closure, it was a semi that flipped over carrying stuff like pig guts and things that had the freeway closed for hours and hours and hours while they tried to clean it up. So it's a backhoe. That's a problem. But at least once they get it on its feet and haul the thing off, traffic will flow freely. But again, full freeway closure um, at Silver Spring. If you are trying to go southbound on I-43, at least for the foreseeable future, find an alternate route. You will – I mean, I know Debbie Lazica always says pack your patience. Well, find an alternative route because otherwise you're just going to be sitting in a traffic jam. All right. We have talked on multiple occasions over the last several months about the what I think is the Joe Biden plan to try to turn his political fortunes around and, and buy votes, particularly buying votes of younger people by canceling student loan debt. Uh, student loan right now debt is $1.6 trillion, and about 45 million people owe owe some form of student debt. So the argument is, well, okay, you have all these people, they're coming out of college, they owe this money, and they've got to pay the money back. And because they have to pay back their student loans, it means they don't have as much money to buy cars or buy TV sets or um, buy houses or things like that. And we're really trapping all these people in the system because they've got all the student loan debt that they had accumulated. Well, of course, what, what did many of them get out of that? Well, you got college degrees. Um, maybe you got you know postgraduate degrees. So that forty that one point six trillion involves 
doctors, it involves lawyers, it involves all sorts of people who decided to go to school and get degrees or decided that they were going to bail on on school at some point in time. So the argument is, well, it's bad because they owe all this money. Well, many of us say, look, this that, that it's too bad. And if you want to talk about, for example, reasonable things you can do, like maybe figuring out a way to renegotiate the interest rate so it gets closer to market value or something like that, that's something I think that a lot of us would support. But this idea of just waving a magic wand and saying, this money that you legitimately borrowed, you don't have to pay it back. And we're going to expect the taxpayers to essentially pick up the tab for your Ivy League education or what, whatever. And so a retiree on fixed income, well, you're going to pay taxes, and some of your tax money is going to be used to go to pay off the student loan debt of the the guy that got the doctorate, okay? I I think that's fundamentally unfair. I think it's a a non-starter. In addition, what does it say to everybody else who did things the quote-unquote right way? Maybe you decided that you didn't go to the college that you wanted to go to because you wanted to go to one that was at least less afford- more affordable so you didn't have to take out big student loans mom and dad maybe you know you forgave you forwent a lot of different things um while you were raising your kids. You didn't buy the fancier cars. You didn't go on the fanciest vacations because you wanted to put money away so you could pick up the tab for your kids going to college. Well, don't you feel like a chump now if Joe Biden comes in and says, hey, you know, all those of you who did the responsible things and saved, uh, you're chumps because, you know, the people who didn't, well, we're we're going to forgive the student loans. So there's all these different issues that, that are out there. And that's why I think personally student loan debt or forgiving it in its entirety is pretty much of a non-starter. Well, there's an opinion piece that appears in the Washington Post uh, two days ago. Why such a lack of compassion on student debt? And the, the purpose and the point of the article is essentially to say, if you think that people should be responsible for paying back their student loans, essentially you are a person that lacks compassion. Yeah, Yes, maybe you know you have a legitimate beef that you worked and sacrificed to pay your debt or your parents worked and sacrificed to pay your debt their debt or after you got out of college you forgave a lot of things there's a lot of stuff that you didn't do so you could pay off your debt and get on with your life. Yes, we appreciate all that, but if you don't think that other people should just have their entire student debt wiped away or a good portion of it, you just lack compassion. You are essentially heartless. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm sorry, I reject this. I don't think this is about compassion at all. Where do you then draw the line? If you say, okay, well, it's going to be student loan debt today. What about car debt? What about mortgage debt? People are swimming in mortgage debt and things of the like. Why should we expect anybody to pay anything back? These are agreements, it seems to me, that you make. Nobody holds a gun to your head and says you have to borrow money. So if you, like me, believe that people should live up to their obligations. Are you this terrible person who has no compassion at all? Now, I have all sorts of compassion. I have compassion also for all the people who did it the quote-unquote right way, or the people who have nothing to do with student loans at all, who you, if you want that free handout, you're going to expect them to pick up the tab for you. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. 
Don't go anywhere. Jeff Wagner is back right after this. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, so there's an opinion piece in the Washington Post the other day that essentially says if you oppose Joe Biden just waving his magic wand and forgiving $1.6 trillion in student loan debt, you, in fact, you lack compassion. You know, you know if you really want to look at the irony, if you want to talk about um, a lot of the student loan debt, of course, has been accumulated by people who went to Ivy League schools, who went to really, really good schools, and who over the course of a lifetime are on track to make a lot more money than many, many people. So you want to talk about really a handout to people who, if not rich, are have at least the potential to be rich at some point in time in the not-too-distant future. That's what this is. I'm sorry. I just think that this is an obligation you took upon yourself, and I don't feel that I'm a bad person if I say, hey, you should have to pay it back, just like you probably feel, hey, Jeff, nobody made you take out that mortgage or that car loan or whatever. You have to pay that back, right? Let's start with Dennis in Columbus. Dennis, you're on WTMJ. I guess I lack compassion. <laughs> you awful person. Our, our family, our family, our two daughters went to college. We made it through. They paid their debt. We gave up a few things, and the world goes on. And the people that didn't have the opportunity to go to college, why should they be paying for it also? Well, yeah, no, thank you. Hopefully they, everybody lacks compassion. Well, right. Thanks for calling. Right, Dennis. That's, now, look, and I, I understand there, there's some people that are advising Biden who think this is going to be this huge political winner. Okay, if, if we suddenly figure out, and I don't think you can legally do it, but that's just me, but we find this, this way to suddenly forgive all this student loan. People, people are just going to be thrilled with this, and they're going to run out to the polls, and they're going to vote for everybody that was behind it. See, I don't think that's how it plays out, because I think the vast majority of people— are sitting there saying, wait a second, you know, what, 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 what is wrong with this picture? Uh, am I being played as an, for an all-day sucker because I did things like I'm describing the, the right way? I, I, if I borrowed money, I paid it back or I made commitments to pay it back. I lived within my means. Uh, look, this, this is not a question of compassion. I think it's a question of just fundamental right and wrong. And to your point, Dennis, how in the world can you expect somebody who didn't go to college to a essentially pick up the tab for somebody who got a medical degree from Brown. 855-616-1620. Um, Craig in Menominee Falls. Craig, you're on WTMJ. I guess I lack compassion also. I am a college graduate, and I paid all my debt back. I think that, uh, you know, my parents were loving, and they wanted me to go to college. They couldn't afford it, so I took the loans out. Yeah, right. And I paid it all back. Right, and I'm sure it wasn't you know, easy to pay it all back. I mean, you, I'm, I had no doubt that you probably had to make some sacrifices along the way to pay it back. Oh, I made lots of sacrifices. And, and besides that, it taught me responsibility. Yeah. 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 You, if, you, if you're just going to give and give and give and everything's going to be given to you, what are you learning? Um, you're, you're learning that you're learning that everything comes to you on a, with a silver spoon. Well, right, and it's somebody's got to pick don't up have the tab. Yeah, no, thanks, thanks for call, Craig. And again, I, I think that there's things you can do. I, I as I've said before, I think if you wanted to look at restructuring student loan debt to bring it more in line with what the market 
uh, of undead is. I think that that's something that I think a lot of us could probably get behind. But this idea that we're going to wave a magic wand, I'm sorry. Here's a text. Jeff, I'm 49 years old. I live in a moderate house that I never updated. I've never taken a vacation, and none of our cars are new. Those are the sacrifices that I made to pay for my daughter's college education. I didn't have the luxury of going to college myself, so it was a big priority to me that she went and wasn't in debt. So these sacrifices were worth it to me because I'm going to be sitting in the audience in a little over a week when she receives her degree. I'm not lacking in compassion. I've made my sacrifices and lived two decades beneath my means so that my daughter could succeed. And I think that's my responsibility. Absolutely. All right, it's 1230. Let's go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Here's Jane Matinere. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Waterstone Bank and WTMJ Steve Scafidi are once again partnering to recognize the heroes in our community. Police officers, firefighters, health care providers, and countless others help every day to protect our families. They're the first on the scene when critical accidents and unfortunate events occur. Do you know a first responder who deserves recognition for their duties? Well, if so, head to WTMJ.com and make your nomination now. And please hurry. The nomination period ends May 13th. It's Waterstone Bank's salute to service on News Radio WTMJ. I I'm literally being swamped with with texts from people and the whole student loan issue. Um, we could spend the next 30 minutes just reading them. Here, here's one that I thought was interesting. Jeff, the, the other problem is choice. For example, who would not want to go to Marquette over UWM? That's what the, the texter writes. The Milwaukee experience, the sports teams, faith, etc. But a nursing degree from either place will bring you into the market at the same introductory salary. It was your choice between $25,000 a year tuition or $50,000 tuition a year. I understand your choice, but I don't want to pay for your choices. There are a lot of things that I want but can't have because of financial choices. That's just my thought. You know, that is, you know, I think one of the interesting aspects that are out there. People make individual decisions. Gee, I want to go to this school as opposed to that school because, I don't know, the football team's better, the experience is better, etc. Okay, that is a choice that you make. People decide, gee, I want to work two jobs through college so I don't have to come out with debt versus, hey, I I want to enjoy the college experience so I'm going to borrow as much as I possibly can. That's all well and good, but these are choices you make. How in the world can you say to that person who made the choice to go to a you know, I'm going to say a, a less desirable, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but just, hey, I, I would have rather gone to this school than that school, but I'm going to the school because it's cheaper, because I'm concerned about that. Gee, I would have rather just enjoyed the college experience and not had to work and lived on loans and things like that, but I didn't think that was responsible, so I worked two jobs, and I worked during the summer, and I did all this stuff. How can you say to those people, you lack compassion because you don't want the other people to essentially freeload, and you don't want to have to you don't want to have to pay for for them that this idea that oh you're some sort of horrible person if you think people should live up to their responsibilities give me a break all right let us switch gears we we've talked you know this week about the leaked decision involving abortion and Roe versus Wade being overturned etc cetera, etc cetera. i have tried to I don't know, offer a degree of rationality into the conversation. And I understand that there's abortion, as I've said before, is always something very, very difficult to talk about because there are, there are some people on, on the 
either side of the issue who are just in, intractable. There are people who believe that, that life starts at conception and an abortion under any circumstance is the murder of an unborn child. There are people on the other end of the spectrum who believe that a woman should have the absolute right to do anything she wants with her, her body, including um, aborting a, a child up at until any point before for birth, before birth. So there are those extremes. I happen to believe, and I've said this before, that the majority of this country is in is in the middle on this. The majority of this country, I think, believes that that there should be an option for people to have an abortion up to a certain point. And to me, as we've talked about over the last couple of days, I I think. These laws, for example, in Florida, where they talk about 15 weeks, uh, in in this country, 94-plus percent of the abortions occur within the first 15 weeks. Okay, that's that's just the reality. And states like Florida, even after that, they allow abortions um, for the health of the mother. But there are some people who aren't satisfied by that. They believe that, well, you should be able to have an abortion anytime you want. But I don't think that's where the majority of Americans are. And by the way, that the polls tend to support me on this. So anyhow, Democrats who are just in real trouble this year because of all sorts of stuff that's going on um, in the world and in this country, etc., they think they've seized on that this issue. Hey, we can... We can mobilize suburban women, and, and we can mobilize the left on, on this abortion issue. So what Chuck Schumer is going to do next Wednesday is he is going to try to introduce legislation which would codify Roe versus Wade. What that means is, it, regardless of what the Supreme Court would do, it would make um, anti-abortion, it would write it into federal law. And Schumer knows he doesn't have the votes for this. But the plan is, let's get people on record. So then moving forward, you know, we can turn this into an election issue because we can have people say, all right, you know, this particular Republican, or in some cases, a couple Democrats, they they don't believe in the woman's right to choose. See, they voted against trying to codify Roe. All right, so that's the political strategy here. But there's a real interesting piece about this. For example, you know, one of the Republicans who um, is out there and has been supportive of the whole concept of abortion rights, Susan Collins um, from Maine, she's actually said, look, I'm not going to vote for this this thing that they're introducing next Wednesday because I don't agree with it. And, and here's what Democrats are going to be voting on. The, the bill that they are going to introduce, and it's not going to pass, but the bill that they're going to introduce would say that no, no state could ban abortion um, or restrict abortion before viability of the fetus. And that def- viability is defined as being that point in which the treating physician feels that the fetus has a reasonable likelihood of sustained survival outside the womb. That is, in essence, um, typically thought of as 24 weeks. Now, many states will not allow an abortion that late in the process. But that's what this bill is. This bill says, you know, anywhere up to essentially six months, 
You know, people can get an abortion, no questions asked, and the state has no right to put any sort of restrictions on this. And interesting, like I say, Susan Collins, who's a Republican senator from Maine who supports abortion rights, she says, I can't vote for this. I I can't vote for this because I think this goes too far. Now, obviously, there's some people who think that this is going to be a huge political winner. And maybe when you just say, well, okay, you know, are you going to vote to, you know, allow abortion to be legal? Maybe that's it. But uh, this this idea that there can't be any restrictions in the first six months, I'm sorry. I don't think that that's where the vast majority of Americans are. And if some people think that this is going to be this huge electoral winner, I think they are missing the boat. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. More Jeff Wagner right after this. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, all right, there on, on Wednesday, it's, it's a political stunt. You know, Chuck Schumer is going to have the U.S. Senate vote on a law which would codify Roe versus Wade and say that no state could restrict abortion within until the fetus is, is viable. And that's so essentially it's six months or less. See, most abortions are conducted within the first 15 weeks. And I, I just I don't believe the vast majority of Americans believe that there should be essentially an unlimited right to to abortion. And I think once those details come out, that becomes a position which not only is it not politically desirable, it becomes politically indefensible. 855-616-1620. Let's see. Um, Let's start with, let's see, Al in Illinois. Al, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Justin. Taking my call, sure. I uh, really appreciate your viewpoints, and uh, I will say that uh, I'm in favor of a woman having her own right to make her own decision. And okay. so, uh, I do not like the federal government jumping in and making decisions for us on anything we do. Well, okay. Do you think people should be able to um, in- inject heroin, for the example? Would would you? Th- is that the, an individual right? You know, I guess as long as we don't have to, uh, uh, we don't have to care for them, or we don't have to care for their burial, for goodness sakes. Okay, well, Al, I'm sorry, your, your your phone is kind of breaking up. We have a bad connection, but I guess I there there are always see, and, and here's here's what the here's what the the, the complications of Roe have, have always been. We have in, in this country, we well, there's all sorts of limitations that we put on the rights of of individuals and and. Drugs would be a classic example of that. We, we don't say that, you know, you, you should be able to in, inject heroin if, if you want. I think most people would say, yeah, that's probably – it's probably good that we, we don't do that. But um, where, where Roe is different, and it's why I think regardless of what you think of the outcome, which to me is a, is a separate sort of thing, Roe has always been a mess – because it creates the, this sort of arbitrary right to privacy. On top of all that – and when you're dealing with abortion, you're not just dealing with actions that impact you. You're dealing with actions that impact 
another living being. And and that's where you have to wrestle as as to what the limitation is, and should there be any limits on this. And so this whole idea of viability, which is, you know, six months, I I think most Americans say, well, that's too late. I think the vast majority, and when they poll people, I mean, when they say, okay, you know, what about 15 weeks? And and maybe maybe 15 weeks is, is too is too slow, is is too soon, so maybe 17 or 18. But this idea that, you know, no state can restrict abortion within the first six months, if you ask that question, not do you support a woman's right to choose to, to have an abortion, you're going to get a decidedly different result among a lot of, you know, people that are out there. And so if you think that this is going to be this political winner, I'm, I'm not— Sure. Jeff, my concern is black market abortions like before Roe versus Wade. Will it rekindle again? And what can be done to stop it from happening? I, and that's why I've, I've been saying, look, I don't think – and there's all this controversy that has started the attorney general of the state of Wisconsin, Josh Call, who, again – wants to pander to votes, he says, well, Wisconsin has this 1850 law that prohibits abortion. If if Roe versus Wade were reversed, I'm not going to enforce that law. Now, I, I firmly, I don't believe that it's going to come to that. I really don't, because I think ultimately what's going to happen is we're, we're going to settle on something like about a 15-week ban or some uh, 15 weeks allowance, and after that, exceptions for the life of the mother, things like that. Now, of course, the problem with what Call's position is, is he's the attorney general of the state of Wisconsin. And, and wouldn't it be nice? So now you have the attorney general of the state of Wisconsin who's deciding, I'm not going to enforce laws. Well, that's, that, that's wonderful. You know, what if he said, well, I'm not going to enforce hate crime laws because I, I don't like those. It's just very, very scary where you have these elected officials that decide to turn their back on the oath of office and say they're not going to enforce certain laws. Now, again, I don't think it's going to come to that because I, I think what you're going to find is that if Roe is, in fact, reversed, I think then you're going to find a bunch of politicians who are going to have to sit down and we're going to have to figure out, okay, should there be any restrictions on abortion? And if so, what are reasonable restrictions on abortion? And that's why I, I think that, you know, being on record, for example, saying no limits within six months, I'm not sure that's a position where a lot of people want to be, because I don't think, even if you are pro-choice, I don't think that's the where the majority of pro-choice voters are as well. So I, I understand the plan is we're going to try to embarrass Republicans and turn this into an election issue in November, be careful what you wish for, because it might not work out exactly like you thought. Stay tuned. Jeff Wagner returns after this on WTMJ. WTMJ, W277-CV, and WKTI-HD2 Milwaukee from the Annex Wealth Management Studios. This is News Radio WTMJ, a good karma brand station. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. All right. What was their big mistake? Here's the story as reported by today's TMJ4. Two arrested after crashing stolen vehicle car in Brookfield connected to other car break-ins. Brookfield, Wisconsin. Two people were arrested after crashing a stolen car and fleeing from police in Brookfield early Thursday morning. City of Brookfield police officers responded to a call of two individuals walking around vehicles with a fresh flashlight in a parking lot near Club Circle and Greenway Terrace around 4 a.m., 
Police say that when the subjects noticed the police arrival, they jumped into a car headed northbound on I-94 at a high rate of speed. They were pursued. The vehicle eventually crashed, and the two male subjects fled on foot. A perimeter was established with the assistance of responding agencies shortly after the two suspects were found hiding in a dumpster on the north side of a hotel parking lot near the crash scene, police say. The stolen vehicle was recovered and is related to a stolen vehicle incident that occurred on Monday at Metro Market. Police say preliminary investigations link property inside the recovered vehicle to previous car break-ins that occurred in multiple outside jurisdictions. Police say a stolen handgun was recovered on the scene. Second handgun was found inside the car, which is possibly linked to an overnight car break-in that occurred in a different city. All right. And so now they're looking at all sorts of charges, operating a motor vehicle without owner's consent, recklessly endangering safety, felon in possession of a firearm, felony eluding, possession of stolen property and various uh, parole and probation holds. Okay, so they're in a lot of trouble. You know, though, of all this stuff, what the biggest mistake that these these two jack wagons made in connection with this case. Now, there, there's a lot of things that you could say. It's all, well, you know, they're felons being in possession of the guns. That that was a mistake. Um, stealing the car in the first place was a mistake. No question about that. Fleeing from the police and crashing the car. That was unquestionably a mistake. But you know what the biggest mistake that these two guys made? They did it in Waukesha as opposed to Milwaukee. Because you do this in Milwaukee County— You go into the dysfunctional court system where chances are you are going to be let out on some sort of bail immediately, and if your case winds its way through the system in a year or two, chances are, even though you're a felon in possession of a gun, even though you've done all these things, you're going to get your wrist slapped. Nope. Instead, they chose Waukesha County to at least commit this latest crime, and my guess is the outcome is going to be a lot different. Now, you might say, gee, it's really not fair to have the disposition of a case depending on what county you commit the crime, and in some respects you would be correct. But of course, the point is, that's why if you want justice and you want this stuff to stop in Milwaukee County, you need to have a district attorney's office and you need to have a court system that treats these crimes like the serious offenses they are. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. If you think it has been brutal in the stock market since January, you are Correct. Let me give you a perspective. Um, the, the stock market this year, uh, January 3rd, was the first day of trading. On January 3rd of this year, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was at 36585 uh, Today, as of right now, the Dow Jones Industrials, which is down 347 points right now today, on the, on the heels of a 1,000-plus point collapse yesterday and another like 900-point collapse on Friday. Right now, the Dow Jones Industrial sits at 32,650. So uh, essentially, it's dropped 4,000 points over the course of the last, you know, three, rather the last four months. 
the NASDAQ, it's even worse. January 3rd, when the stock market opened up, the NASDAQ sat at 15,732. Now it's down to 12,097. And again, that's on the heels of just some massive, massive decreases. And if you talk to a lot of experts, they say that this is it's going to get worse in all likelihood before it gets better. There's been a couple days where you've seen you know, upticks. For example, you know Wednesday was, was an uptick. The Dow Jones gained like 900 points. But then yesterday, it gave it all back, um, a drop of over 1,000 points, I think a, uh, almost 1,100 points. But the bottom line is it's been just an awful four months. There's no question about it. And a lot of people have lost a lot of value. A lot of companies have lost a a lot of value. Now, admittedly, this was after a run-up, that the stock market has been going up um, for you know a number of years. And now what you're seeing is it's um, heading south. I think a lot of economists believe that we're, we're going to be looking at a recession, both in the United States and, and worldwide. And a lot of people, and of course, let's be honest, nobody knows exactly what's going to happen tomorrow or three months from now or six from, months from now. But a lot of people think this summer is going to be even worse. In other words, that you're going to see these continuing drops. Now, if you are of a certain age and you are a long way off from retirement, it, it really, you know, the, the day-to-day worries about, you know, what, what's going on in the stock market, if you're not going to need your money for 20 or 30 years, you, you've got plenty of time. On the other hand, if you are, if you're in retirement now and you're living in part off of your your investments, the money you saved all these years in your 401ks or your IRAs or whatever, you got to be looking at what's happened recently and just the, the stock market cratering. And I think that's a fair word to use for what's going on for the next for the last couple months and, and reacting. Or if you are somebody who is planning retirement or is relatively close to retirement, I told this story the other day. I have a I was I was in a a bar restaurant a couple weeks ago, and I was talking to the the bar manager, nice guy, and he was telling me about how his plans had been that he he wanted to retire a year from August, and I was going, oh, I'm going to miss you. I hate that. He said, No, no, I've been I've, I've been working. This is my goal. I've been saving all this money, and, and I've got this. This this is what my I want my retirement to look like. And there's a place in in Southwest Florida that I want to live, and I, I've kind of scoped out the places, and I know how much it's going to cost. And then he said to me, "Now this was a couple of weeks ago." He said, "The problem is with what's going on in the stock market. I, I'm watching my retirement savings just you know taking a hit, and my concern is, am I going to be able to do it? Now I haven't seen." This guy, I haven't been back into that particular restaurant bar in the last couple of weeks, but if he was freaked out a couple of weeks ago, um, the results of what's happened over the last couple of weeks where the stock market has just fallen off a cliff, I, I'm sure it has done nothing to make him feel any better about the chances that he's going to be able to retire on schedule. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, I, I don't have any you know, great, great suggestions as to what people can do, because the problem is, 
if you sell all your stocks, take the tax hit, and then you know end up taking this in cash and putting it under your mattress, well, all right, you, you're you're battling inflation. It's going up at eight percent. So you know your your money loses its value. You you've got to try to figure out something. On the other hand, I appreciate that if you've worked all your life, you have this particular nest egg, and then you know on a weekly basis or a daily basis or a monthly basis when you check your account and you, you see it just kind of going down and down and down, and it makes you start wondering, gee, am I going to have to work forever? Am I going to be able to have the lifestyle I wanted in retirement? Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, like the guy was talking to a couple weeks ago, how, I'm going to use the phrase freaked out, how concerned are you about what has been going on in with investments in the stock market over the last several months. Have you reached your your pain threshold? Are you considering making changes, or are you just kind of, hey, I'm, I'm going to ride this out and see where I'm going to be? And if I lose another 10 or 15 or 20 percent, well, I've lost another 10 or 20 percent. 855-616-1620. I want to take your temperature on what's going on in the economy. We discuss in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. Stay tuned. Jeff Wagner returns after this on WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. It has been, by any stretch of the imagination, it has been an ugly four months in the the stock market. Um, Now, again, part of it is just erasing gains that, that you've seen over the last couple years. But there's no question. I mean, the Dow down big in the first four months. I mean, yesterday alone dropped over a thousand points and uh, everybody's wondering where the bottom is. And I don't think anybody has any sort of clue because all the things that are causing the the drop are, are there. Inflation is out of control. You've got the global supply, supply shortage. You've got the high oil prices and all the uncertainty because of Russia and Ukraine and all these different things. So it's one thing if you're 20 or 30 and you're starting to amass funds, well, you've got lots of time. There, there's no question about it. But for people who are in retirement, living on their investments, who suddenly see, hey, my investments have gone down 10, 15, 20 percent, that, that's got to be an awakening. For people People who are planning retirement in the next five to 10 years or whatever, all of a sudden you see what's happened and you go, wow, I mean, how long is it going to be, if ever, that I get back to where I was? So how concerned are you? 855-616-1620. Let's start with uh, Greg. Greg, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good morning. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hey, uh, a little bit more philosophical about it. I'm in my 60s. Um, and yes, I've seen uh, markets rise and fall. Uh, but that's the world we live in, right? Uh, we live in a world of risk. I can have a heart attack tomorrow. My daughter's baby might not be born um, well. Uh, I could uh, also incur some uh, uh, other uh, crazy uh, negative effect of life. But that's, that's the world we live in. And I, I think today's society is more sensitized to this overreaction to risk than we were years and years and years ago. I mean, that, that's the way it is. Um, yeah, e- e- exactly. So th- this is something that, well, it's it's just it's part of life, and you just live with it, huh? Of course. What other choice do you have? Well, um, yeah, thanks. For, well, you're right. I mean, I guess the, the other choice is to 
to I mean bail that that's that's that that's actually the point there's just I, I guess there's there's not much that you can do on, on this as opposed to you know wonder what what is going on and why is this all happening now I, I do think you can look at a lot of the policies that we've seen um, over the course of the last couple of years and say boy you know we, we could not have gotten it more wrong when it comes to an 8.5 percent inflation rate and things like that and I do think it's fair to kind of look at these government officials and say what what were you thinking when you decided hey let's let's pay people not to work and let's tell people that they don't have to pay their rent you know what what were you thinking on, on that? And once you started seeing prices go through the roof, what were you thinking when you said, okay, we're not going to put a priority on trying to have domestic oil production, and now you're looking at $4.20 a gallon or whatever it is and 5 bucks for diesel? So I think there's, there's lots of blame that you can put on, for example, some of the economists who, at least in my opinion, over the last couple of years have gotten it exactly and totally wrong. And, and right now, we're living with this, and I don't know that it's going to change anytime soon. Let's talk to Sam. Sam, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Well, you stole some of my ideas there. I mean, yeah, you cannot shut energy production down in any industrialized economy anywhere in the face of the planet and not expect, you know, what we see going on here. It's energy is tied to everything we're doing. And if you don't think so, you are living in a fantasy land. And to your earlier segment about wiping out college debt and just keep adding to the national debt, that's more inflation again. So if people want to keep voting for this stuff, it's only going to get tougher and nobody's going to ever be able to retire. And you're just going to live off of whatever you have until you have nothing. And there's no talk about turning this thing around. So, yeah, it's probably going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Yeah, but, it's, yeah, you know, again, they got this fossil fuel thing going in their heads and people buy into it. And now we're paying. Sam, thanks for calling. I mean, I think clearly, you know, that's one of the many reasons why you see energy costs going through the roof. I, you're also exactly right. We didn't double back on this. But if you think inflation is a problem now, imagine what happens if we do add another $1.6 trillion to the national debt and all of a sudden tell people, don't worry about paying this particular obligation back. You, If, if you want to see, uh, again, just prices continue to spiral, you, you end up doing that. Jeff, I want to retire next year, but I have lost over 80000 this year. I'm scared. I have been in construction for 40 years. I cannot do it much longer. Um, Jeff, I'm very concerned as I think this is just the beginning of our economic problems. Add the way the rest of our society is going in the U.S., and, um, you know, I, I might do like some people have threatened moving out of the country. I hope uh, there's going to be a glimmer of hope. Well, the problem is you move out of the country. I don't know where you go because it's this is at least it's a worldwide crisis. I think no question. Um, Jeff, wouldn't it be great if instead of bailing, you could simply put your investments into non-revenue generating fund, not pay the taxes on it as long as they were invested within so many years. Well, yeah, you've you've got that element there. So, you know, you, you have all this stuff that's that's going on. And what you're seeing is, again, if you've got a long time horizon, it, it's fine. But 
I don't have a good answer for you other than that, you know, you, you rode the escalator up and now you end up, you know, having to, you know, ride the escalator down. And that is precisely what is happening right now. But if you are freaked out by seeing an 1100 point drop in the Dow and seeing, you know, where we are now and looking at a lot of the experts who say it's probably going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Um, the only, my only conversation and my only comment is, well, you're not alone. More Jeff Wagner right after this. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. There are choices, there are bad choices, and then there are Vicki White choices. Now, first of all, Casey White, no relation to Vicki White, 38 years old, serving a 75-year-old-year prison sentence for kidnapping and attempted murder charges after he was convicted of trying to kill his ex-girlfriend and kidnapping her two roommates. He also faces capital murder charges in the 2015 murder-for-hire slaying of Connie Ridgway after he confessed to killing her while in custody. He was set to go to trial in that case next month. Okay, so that is Casey White. Who is Vicki White? Well, Vicki White is the sheriff's deputy, age 56. She's actually the assistant director of corrections, um, age 56, in this northern Alabama jail, who apparently, somehow unknown to authorities, had had a, what they're now euphemistically describing as a special relationship with Casey White for, well, the better part of a couple years Apparently that she would do him all sorts of favors and things of the like. She turned in her paperwork to retire. She was working at the sheriff's office. It was her last day, and apparently she had cooked up this scheme that she was going to take her paramour, Casey White, who, again, serving a 75-year prison sentence for kidnapping and attempted murder after he tried to kill his last girlfriend and who's already facing capital murder charges in another case, they cooked up this plan that she was going to bust him out of prison. She was going to take him for some doctor's appointment or something that was non-existent. So they made this all up. She had apparently sold her house a few weeks beforehand for way below the market value. So they had kind of cooked up this scheme. So she goes, she gets him out of prison. They're now able to find out that for the last two years, there were prison visits and phone calls. I'm sure this is love or something like that. So she gets him out of jail with the idea that she's going to take him to this non-existent doctor's appointment. And now they, they are on the lamb together. It's it's sort of Bonnie and, and Clyde, or it's kind of like the plot of the movie Bad lands or whatever. So it's a nationwide manhunt. This woman has, of course, well, thrown her life away. Um, She's, you know, she's now been, she was going to retire. She's subsequently been fired, but she's going to be looking at all sorts of criminal charges. And candidly, if you look at this guy's track record, you know, you hate to say this, but the best thing that would happen is that they find them quickly because given his track record with women, given the fact that he's facing capital merger charges and was spending already serving a 75-year prison sentence in connection with kidnapping and attempted murder of other women that were in his life, you'd have to kind of say to this 
jailer who helped him bust out, this might not have been the best choice in men. And you've seen how this has worked out for other people. You know, hopefully they will catch him before, you know, bad stuff happens to her. But like I say, you you go through this all. And when this first happened, I remember thinking, you know— it, it sounds fishy here. You know, it sounds like kind of an inside job, and it turns out that's exactly what this was. So, I mean, there's bad choices, there's really bad choices, and then there's Vicky White choices. Let's bust out my boyfriend, who I've been seeing, uh, I've been seeing you know, surreptitiously for the last two years while he's awaiting charges on capital murder. At this point in time, it's 131. Let's go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Here's Jane Matinere. Thank you, Jeff. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, here's some good news. No, the stock market's still in the tank, now down 380 points, NASDAQ down 226. But the good news is, during the break, we just got the report. They've got the backhoe out of traffic, so I-43 has been reopened. Now, I don't know if there's backlogs, you would think, because of, of everything that's been going on, but I-43 southbound that has been closed for the last couple hours has now been reopened. So there's, there's some good news. All right. Hopefully you have a car to drive. Here's the story off of uh, Fox 6. Got my attention. A Bayview woman's cars, plural now, catch that, cars were stolen from the same spot on three separate occasions in nine months. Twice she tried to protect her vehicle with a club, says she wouldn't be surprised if it happened again. Now, by the way, that's that's one of the things that, that I, I always point out. You, you have officials who are just don't know what they, to do when it comes to stopping the, the incidents of car thefts. Now, I have a simple solution, which is target the car thieves and prosecute the car thieves. Don't slap people on the wrist. Send people, it's grand theft, send people to prison for stealing other people's cars. If you've got 14-year-olds that are stealing cars and crashing them and joyriding, when you catch them, send them to juvenile detention facilities, send them to boot camps instead of just sending them back to their parents who don't give a rat's rump about these kids and can't control them. But you know, until we start getting tough on these car thieves, you're still going to have 22, 23, 24 cars a day stolen in Milwaukee. But anyhow, here's the story. Bayview woman fed up after not one, not two, but three of her vehicles were stolen from the street outside her home. She discovered the latest one on Tuesday morning. Um, she said, look, this is the woman. She said, she was taking precautions to protect her cars. Thieves were able to cut off the club she had on her 2020 Kia and take off with the vehicle. Yeah, that's why like when law enforcement says, well, one of the things you can do is we encourage you to get one of these anti-theft devices and put the club on. I'm not saying that that's a bad idea, but these car thieves, it, it, all that does is delay them about 15 or 20 seconds if, if you talk to people who know how this operates. So I'm not, not saying don't put the clubs on your car, but I'm saying that if you think that that's going to deter these chronic car thieves that are out there, no, all you're going to do is slow them down a little. Okay, so anyhow, thieves were able to cut off the club she had on her 2020 Kia and take off with the vehicle. After her third theft, 
The woman says that she wouldn't be surprised if it happened again. She says to Fox 6, it's been crazy, absolutely crazy. She couldn't believe it when she walked out of her home Tuesday morning. You come outside to go to work and your vehicle is gone. Her 2020 green Kia Soul was stolen from her home in Bayview with a small pile of glass sitting in the spot where her car once was. Our story is the same as everyone. It's another stolen vehicle. But what makes this lady's story so different is that it's not the only time it's happened. The first time it happened, it was a Honda Honda Accord, she says. The second time, it was a Ford Explorer. The third time, it was a Kia, which, by the way, again, proves evidence to the point that I've been making all along. I understand that you've got some elected officials out there who just who want to blame the car manufacturers. Well, this is a problem because it's Kias and Hyundais that are being stolen. Well, it's true that those are easier to steal. At least some of the late model cars are easier to steal. But that doesn't mean that you're, you're going to have a decrease in car thefts. What you're going to have is, is they make those a little bit tougher to steal, then it's just going to be equal opportunity. There's going to be stealing all sorts of other types of cars. And that this lady proves that point. First, it's a Honda Accord stolen, then it's a Ford Explorer, and then it was the Kia. Three of her vehicles have been stolen from the same exact spot since August of 2021. Two of the cars were protected with a club. She says... People are trying to blame on the fact that it was a Kia. You should know better. You should be able to, she says, you should be able to buy what you want to buy and not worry about somebody stealing it. Let me go back to that for just a minute. For all the politicians out there who think that you are somewhat at fault because you decided to buy a Hyundai or a Kia, that it's your fault because don't you know these are easy to be stolen? You want to talk about a philosophy and a statement that really summarizes how I feel. You should be able to buy what you want to buy and not worry about someone stealing it, to which the congregation says, amen, you know, amen. This is – and this is what – you know, these elected officials that, that clutch their pearls and wring their hands and go on TV and talk about how this is epidemic, and the judges that go on TV and say, yes, we've got all these juveniles that are stealing crimes and cars, and isn't this terrible? But they don't do a darn thing about it. Look, look, here's the deal. The population around here is sick of this. I, I think I can say that without fear of contradiction. You know, whether it's like my, my friend who went to dinner on Farwell Avenue a couple weeks ago and comes out and finds that her car is gone and is now inconvenienced trying to replace it because they find it later on trashed. Somebody took it, presumably kids took it, drove it, banged off a couple cars, smashed into a fire hydrant. The car is totaled, so she's in the process of trying to replace it and scrambling to keep her life together as she gets a replacement car so she can go back and forth from work till she gets her new car. And by the way, good luck with that, you know, given, you know, the, the shortage of cars that are out there. So you've got, you know, decent, honest, hardworking people who are being ripped off on a regular basis by what I believe is still a small percentage of repeat thugs, punks, and thieves who are, are just doing this for whatever reasons and being allowed to continue to do this over and over and over again. Lady in the Fox 6 story says, frustration, anger, you know, enough is enough. When is it going to stop? Well, the answer is it's going to stop when the chattering class, when the judges 
you know, in Milwaukee County court system, recognize that this is a big deal and stop treating this like it's, oh, this is Opie who's, again, you know, throwing some stones at a window. When they recognize it's a big deal and start dropping the hammer on the juvenile punks who are doing this, yes, then it will start to stop. When we start recognizing that when adults do this, it is a felony and should be treated as a felony, and we're going to at least drop the hammer on them as well, yet then and only then it's going to stop. But we have had this permissive attitude that has gone on for the last several years. Oh, it's not a big deal. Go out and steal cars because, well, you know, it's a property crime and a lot of times there's insurance. So we look the other way over and over and over again, and pretty soon it's an epidemic. Well, it's time to stop looking the other way. And for for a lady like this, okay, three cars stolen in front of her house over this period of nine months. Give me a break. I mean, I guess if— if I were her, my next result would be, hey, I'm putting a for sale sign up on my house and I'm getting the heck out of she lives in Bayview because I, I want to go somewhere else where chances are my car, it's less likely at least that my car is going to be stolen. And I don't know where in Milwaukee County you're going to find that place. That's why authorities need to wake up up, we need to stop coddling the criminals, the punks, and the thieves who are doing this, because as long as you're coddling them, this stuff is going to continue to happen, period. Stick around. Jeff Wagner is right around the corner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, I think we should we could sell about 10 of those. During the break, my, my, my program director, Ryan, comes in, and he's just an absolute great guy. I, just, I, I very much enjoy having the opportunity to work with him. He said, I got a text from one of, our, one, of the, one of our fans who's a big fan of your program, and you know, one of your catchphrases is, this makes my head want to explode. He said, and, and he sent like a, a silkscreen reproduction of it. He said, this is, this is what I think we should turn on into a T-shirt, and it's a, like a picture of me with my head exploding, you know, and I, I, <laughs> you know, and I, I actually— I I figure we could we could maybe sell ten or twelve of those, huh? I think I might wear one of those. You might wear one of if, those, if, yeah. Depending on what the design looks like, that's kind of cool. Well, I kind of like the option. You know, like to get a mop, my head's going to explode. Absolutely, I kind of, I actually sort of like that. We used to have years and years ago. We did T-shirts, and this was a long time ago, and um, it was. Um, it, it was the life is tough, get a helmet thing, which is Wagner's rule of life number one. But I actually, I, I, I kind of like this. I thought, I, I thought it was, I thought it was kind of cute. Like I say, we, we could probably sell a dozen of those or something like that. All right. It used to. Right, let, let, let's back up a step. Um, it is when it comes to employment. It is, and you are a job seeker. It is a buyer's market right now. If you are, if. You, you are the buyer if you are the employee. Everywhere you go, there, there's, there's help wanted signs up there. And, you know, lots of jobs disappeared or workers disappeared during the pandemic, and they haven't come back. It's one of the reasons why you see a, a large number of, like, the, the April jobs numbers are, are pretty good, but they're still— they're still way behind because people, a lot of people have just not reentered the workforce. And one of the things are is you've got a lot of workers that are being selective. Well, okay, I understand selective, but here's one of the big problems that employers are having. And maybe if you're an employer, you can relate to this. You, you're, you're being ghosted. Here's the way they write it in the Washington Post. Um, Enervise Inc. recently found someone to fill a $75,000 a year job. A new hire said he would move to Cincinnati and report to orientation at 8 a.m. on his first Monday, the day before he emailed to say he had changed his mind. The recruiting manager, 
called back, emailed back, got no response. He said, I called. It was just crickets. Here's the deal. They interview, for example, Southwest Airlines, the airline, right? Southwest looking for all sorts of people to fill positions. Southwest said that their estimate is somewhere between 15 to 20 percent. So let me put this in perspective. 20 percent is one out of five. Approximately one out of five new hires for some jobs don't turn up on their first day. That this isn't even you come to work for a couple days and you find you don't like it and so you disappear and, and don't tell anybody. This is you're hired. You interview for the job. You get the job. They don't even show up. One out of every five people do not show up. Um, let's see, Allied Universal, which is a security and facility services provider, they estimate that roughly 15% of their new hires disappear before starting a job. You know, 15%. And just, just never hear from them again. Okay, our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think is, is going on here? Now, again, I understand you, you get a job, you show up, you, you apply for it, you go through all the process, you, you go and I don't know if you have to like pee in a bottle and stuff and get drug tested or whatever, but you go through this whole process, you accept the job. I understand maybe if, if you go to that job and you're, you're working there for a couple of days and you find out it's not what you thought it was or you don't like the people you're working with or you don't like the work or whatever, I, I understand in that situation saying, hey, this isn't right for me. Now, I think it would be rude to ghost the employer and just kind of disappear without telling them you were leaving. But at least I understand that, that this idea that in the case of Southwest – approximately one out of every five employees that interviews with jobs, applies for jobs, accepts a job, never shows up on the first day. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And apparently people feel there's no consequences to not showing up the first day because even, well, they're not around to get a negative reference. Why, why is this happening? I've got some theories, but what do you think? And if you're an employer, has something like this happened to you? 855-616-1620, because I imagine it would be incredibly frustrating. You know, you, you, you go out, you say, we've got these job openings, you struggle to screen candidates, you get the applicants, you say, okay, this is it, this is the job, you negotiate what the deal is, and then Monday morning rolls around and, you know, people don't show up. What's going on? We discuss in a moment. Don't go anywhere. Jeff Wagner is back right after this. And this is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. Scott in Waukesha. Scott, good afternoon. Yes, good afternoon. How are you today? Good. Okay. Have you noticed this happening, people accepting jobs and then just not showing up? Yes. So I own a a landscape maintenance company, and I have 25, 30 years I've been in business. And a standing joke is um, when we have to hire somebody is, A, if they're going to actually show up the first day, and then the second miracle is, if on the first week they aren't late at all for their day of work. Right. And even this year, I would say we're 50 to 60% no-shows where they take the job and then they just don't show up. And then it's actually gotten one individual this year three times. He begged each night asking for another chance, and three times he never showed up uh, for his first day of work. Always had an excuse why he couldn't come in the day before and this and that. And 
I, it's gotten to the point where sometimes I don't even ask their last names until they're actually there. Because <laughs> it's, it's gotten. Uh, so, in, now, in the one case you were exa- talking, at least the guy called and asked for second chance. My, my guess is for if if 50% of the people don't show up, you, my guess is you don't hear from most of them, right? They just flat don't show. No, most of them don't show at all. No phone calls, no text messages, no emails. But the, the part I still don't understand is they will call, text, email the evening before saying, you know, sir, I'll see you bright and early, going to be your best employee. <laughs> I'm looking forward to working for you, uh, confirming, you know, this is where we're going to be for the address and my start time. And they still don't show. And that'll be like 9 or 10 o'clock the evening before they're supposed to show. And they still don't show. Unbelievable. So I don't know what happens from the evening to the morning. Yeah, it is. It, it's bad out there. It really is. No, thanks for calling, Scott. Well, see, and I guess, I mean, I, I mean, some people are texting that, okay, between the time they accept the job, they, they find another job that, that pays better. Well, okay, that now I don't think. You know, that's not the people Scott's talking about because he's talking about I got a call at nine o'clock. My guess is that between nine o'clock at night and like seven or eight o'clock the next morning, you haven't found that better job. But even so, even if you get the, the better job offer that comes through, don't you think you send an email or something to the people that have offered you the job in the first place as opposed to just ghosting them? Now, I understand. I, I think one of the things that's happening is, you know, ghosting where you just kind of disappear, That that's that's become a, a really big issue on like the, the lots of the social apps and things like that where it's just you know that's a big complaint hey we, we talked about going on dates or meeting or whatever and all of a sudden the person just disappeared I think you're starting to see ghosting kind of make its way from like the social setting to the business setting but this is this is a huge problem and you talk to personnel directors and they'll tell you it's the case from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, I will play along. I was just saying before, during the last hour, my, my program director, Ryan McGuire, came in and said, I, I wanted to show you this. We had, we had a fan who has an idea for something that we, we should do a marketing thing, like a T-shirt. And, you know, one of my catchphrases is, it just makes my head want to explode. And it's a, it's kind of a silkscreen thing of a picture of me. And the headline says, this just makes my head explode. And then they've kind of got my head exploding. Now, I, I sort of like the concept. Maybe not exactly all the artwork. But anyhow, um, Ryan, my program director, has now tweeted this out. So I retweeted it. So we tweet, I, I'll bet you you can take a look at it. I'll bet you we could sell at least a dozen of those or something, you know, to, to friends and all. So it's, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 We've got, I've just sent that out. That's, at least I'm, I'm always open. We here at WTMJ are always open to marketing options. And I am particularly, am very open to that. So if you, you want to see at least with what, what one fan thought, I'm, maybe there's something that you could work with. And then again, if you follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620 I've been using that for actually some political stuff that we, we don't necessarily have time to talk about during the, the program. So you can follow that. And as I said at the start of the show, today's also a very special day because happy birthday to my little dog, Sasha. And I was almost a little bit late to work today because she agreed to take me on an extra long walk. And if you want to see a picture of her. Um, again, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. I mentioned at the start of the show, and I I, I want to just, just take, I, I hope you will forgive me for being a little bit self-indulgent, but it's, it's I said earlier, it's kind of a bittersweet day today. Um, one of one of the kindest things people will do is people will come up from time to time and say, Jeff, I've been listening to you for all the years you've been on the radio, and I remember where you first started and stuff, and I'm your biggest fan. And I, I really appreciate that. That's that's a very, very kind thing. There, There is a lady who 
really was my my biggest fan. Um, our dear friend Betsy uh, passed away early this morning. I, I've referenced Betsy before. Betsy is um, kind of a second mom to my wife, Fran, and, and growing up, Fran and Betsy's daughter, Denise, extremely close friends. And um, uh, Betsy, after a long illness, passed away early this morning at the age of 89, and we, we miss her just dearly. But it was so interesting when I started dating my wife, Fran, Betsy was all excited about that because she she has been a regular listener for uh, since since there has been a, a Jeff Wagner show. And it would be so funny because she was so excited that the, the two of us were, were getting together. And then um, she always refers to my wife, Fran, as being, you know, their, their other daughter. Um, that That's how close we were to the family. And then I got to be the the other I, I got to be the, the son-in-law because I, you know, I married her other daughter and stuff. And we would spend time and uh, Betsy and her husband, Gary, just very, very nice people and very, very kind to me. And one of the interesting things would be that you always knew where to find Betsy from noon to three, because from noon to three, Betsy was not interested in in going out to lunch or doing things. She wanted to have my show on and you could go over to her house and, you know, the, the show would be on. And when she, you know, went into the, the hospital, that was one of the things she had to bring in a radio so that, you know, Betsy could listen to, to this program from noon to three. So I, I know there's a lot of people out there who've been listening to the program and I appreciate each and every one of you. Um, but Betsy was just really a, a very, very sweet. And um, my life is more rich and full because it's only been for the last five or six years, but my life is more rich and full because for the last, you know, five plus years, Betsy has been a part of it. And like I say, she passed away early this morning and I want to send my condolences out to the, the her entire family and tell them what a special lady their, their mom was. And my, um, my thinking is that um, there, there's no question. Betsy Betsy is in heaven, and she's probably listening to the program now, and now she's got all the time in the world to go back and to listen to all those other shows from the last, you know, 20-plus years that are out there. So um, sail on, Betsy. We will, we will miss you quite a bit. All right. When we come back, let's talk about your choice and what you're going to do with your younger children. I'll explain. We'll discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Pretty funny. People are signing up, following me on Twitter to see the uh, see the T-shirt idea that a fan sent in, and also actually to, to see the birthday picture of my dog Sasha. Which, if you haven't seen Sasha, I got to admit she's I'm biased, but she's a cutie. Okay, here is the deal. I went to uh, last what last week Thursday. There was a ball game, so I used that as the opportunity to go in and have my annual physical. So I go in and I'm talking to my doctor, and I have, I have, I, I had both of the original COVID shots, and I had the one booster. I theoretically could have a second booster. I'm over fifty; it's been four months or whatever. And so I'm talking to my doctor, and he said, "Well." I asked him, I said, what do you think? And, and he, we had an honest conversation about it. He said, well, I tell you, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in the same situation you are. I'm over 50. I'm not immune compromised. And he said, I, I, my, this is my doctor. He said, you know, I, I, you can do whatever you want. He said, it's, um, he said you know, I'm, I'm not going to get the, this extra shot. I said, well, doc, you know, it's interesting. That's, that's kind of the way I had, had felt uh, about this. I had COVID. I've had the two. I had the original vaccinations, both doses. I had the booster. And I, I just... I'm not anti-vaccination, but I'm just not 
convinced. I said, now, if, you know, if they decide that there's just like the flu shot, I get the flu shot every year. If they come out with, you know, one, you know, every year or something because they're dealing with different variants, I, I mean, I'll, I'll probably get it. But I just, I, I feel like I'm, I'm reasonably protected. And I guess I'm not sure that I, I think that there's any added thing. And the doc, my doc said, well, I, I can live with that. He said, I'm not going to beat you up on it. And what we find is, I think that there's about, well, the vast majority of people have made, you know, that decision. And it's not, I mean, it's it's not a it's not an irrational sort of thing, and it's not oh you're this anti-vaxxer. It's just that I, I feel comfortable with the level of protection I have, and I'm at some point in time, it's kind of like okay, is it really going to make that much difference and stop me from getting this? Because you are putting stuff in your body. A decision that lots of parents are going to have to make soon is what you do with kids. The last remaining argument, essentially, to we, we, we have to be masked up and all these different types of things is because there hasn't been a vaccine that's been available to people under the age of five. All right, well, that's, that's about, you know, going to, you know, change. Here, here's the deal. There, in the very near future, will probably be a vaccination that will be approved for, for the use of, of small children. There's a story, I've, I've, of all places, on CNN. Uh, the CNN story says, okay, here, here's what they're doing. They, they've gone out and they've done surveys of parents. And they said, okay, let's say you've, you've got a kid um, under the age of five. There will be, we anticipate, in the relatively near, probably very near future, there will be an authorized vaccine. Are you going to have your kids vaccinated? Here's the deal. Only 18% of parents of children under the age of five said they would vaccinate their child against COVID-19 as soon as a vaccine was available. Nearly 40% of parents of young children said they would wait and see before vaccinating their child. 11% say they would get the vaccine only if required. And 27% said they would definitely not vaccinate their their children. Um, So the bottom line of this is just a a huge number of people have decided that even if this vaccine is made available for children under the age of five, they're, at least in the first round, if ever, they're not going to have their kids vaccinated. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think about this decision? The decision that is to not have small children vaccinated, at least in the short run. Do you understand it, or do you think the parents are being irresponsible? My take, and we'll talk about it a little bit more, but I, 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 I understand where parents are coming from, particularly if you look at the fact that children under the age of five rarely have not. I'm not saying never but almost never have serious complications resulting from COVID. So absent some specialized health situation involving a particular child, if you've got an otherwise healthy kid, I guess I understand this desire to say, okay, we're, we're going to wait. And I don't necessarily see this the same way I see decisions on vaccinating kids for measles and mumps, et cetera. Children under five, overwhelmingly parents say they're going to hold off. Does this make sense to you? We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In the very near future, um, a COVID vaccine is going to be available to children under the age of five. 
almost nobody who's asked the question says that they're going to get it for their kids. Matter of fact, um, only 18% of parents say that they would vaccinate their child against COVID as soon as the vaccine was available. Then the other 80% of the universe, it ranges from, well, we're going to wait to see until no way we're vaccinating our kids. Is this irresponsible? Let's start with Jack in Caledonia. Jack, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi. Yeah, there's a lot of studies coming out, a couple from Sweden and a couple from Israel, and they have a various um, uh, conclusions. But but one is that um, because children are, are, are in puberty, they have there are actually chemical blockers in their body that are preventing uh, the COVID from, uh, you know, uh, getting into their system. OK, and this is something I read, uh, you know, two weeks ago or so in, in, in a report. Um, there, there's just. Uh, too much information coming out right now. I mean, they've been studying this now going on, you know, two years, and mm-hmm. there's just a lot of studies that are coming out that just say it's not worth, the, you know, the, for the child to get it. For one thing, they don't have very severe symptoms yeah. uh, when they get it, and it just isn't worth the risk. Uh, there's another study that talks about um, the uh, reproductive organs being um, uh, comp- uh, compromised. Yeah, uh, and it's just it just isn't worth it. I mean, um, you know, everybody's got to realize that this is this is an experimental vaccine. Okay, it's been approved by the uh, by the FDA, but it's it's experimental. You know, it, it's not it, it's not a yeah, it's a, right. A, a drug no, I'm with you. No, thanks to call Jack. I mean, no, it, it's it's not like the measles and mumps thing. Because I I'm not anti vaccination. As I said earlier, I mean, I I got. I get the flu shot every year. I, I get I've got the shingles vaccine. I've got, you know, you you name it. If it's a vaccine out there and my doctor recommends it, I, I, I do it. I will say this. I think if I had a child under the age of five, I mean, obviously, you'd sit down and have a very serious conversation with your pediatrician, just like I had a conversation with my doctor last week about, well, do I do I need the booster on top of, of the booster? And ultimately, I came to the conclusion that I, I wasn't going to going to get it. And I'm not anti-vaccination. It's just, I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure that I, I need that. And I'm not sure that it's it's worth it. But again, if they come out with like a yearly flu shot, like a yearly COVID shot, and my doctor says, I think it's a good idea, I'll, I'll get it. Th- this is the same sort of thing. Obviously, people want to have a conversation with their pediatricians. But I understand this attitude of people deciding to, well, let, let's hold off a little bit and, and let's see, especially when you look at the numbers and, and recognize that even through this entire pandemic, you know, going back to March of 2020, more than two years now, if you look at the, the, the people that have been impacted, it's, it's older people, it's people with compromised immune systems, it's people with various underlying conditions, and as a general rule, the younger you get— well, the, the, the less severe the risks are, the less severe the consequences are if you get COVID. And for children, it's, I don't want to say non-existent because that would overstate the situation, but the risk is very, very minimal compared to the 80-year-old woman with, the high, with hypertension or diabetes or who's obese or, or whatever. So I understand, and I think candidly, if it had been my situation, if I had a child under the age of five, Unless my doctor was sitting there saying, no, no, this is what you absolutely have to do, I think I would probably, just like the vast majority of people in these polls, I would take a step back and I'd say, okay, I'm going to take the the wait-and-see approach, you know, 
on this. Jeff, I have a 16-year-old and an 11-year-old who haven't been COVID vaccinated. I don't plan on ever getting them vaccinated, so I certainly wouldn't have anyone younger than that vaccinated with an experimental vaccine. I believe the risk does not, the risk does not outweigh whatever the benefits would um, be. Um, Let's see. Jeff, Children's Hospital just had a newsworthy article out on a rise in liver damage in children. Could it be vaccine related? Well, I don't I don't know stuff like that. And I, I I'm not afraid of the vaccine. OK, I mean, I I believe and maybe, you know, maybe five years from now, maybe 10 years from now, you know, some of the people who were really, really scared about the covid vaccine will in a morbid sort of way, have that last laugh and say, all you people that went out there and, you know, you trusted the government and you trusted medical science and you got these vaccinations, look at all the problems you're having. Now, I don't believe that that's going to be the case. And I am extremely comfortable with the decisions that I made over the course of the last couple of years when it comes to, to getting vaccinated, just like I am extremely comfortable with the decision I made in consultation with my physician that at this point in time, that second booster, that that I don't need that second booster. And I'm I'm not worried. I think I'm as protected as you could possibly be. But if you have to make that decision for a very, very small child, like I say, unless my pediatrician was, uh, unless the pediatrician was pushing it, or unless my child, you know, ended up with a, again, maybe you have the child that has the compromised immune system or something that would put them at a very, very high risk of having bad things happen in the event that, you know, they ended up getting COVID. But I guess my inclination is I'm, I'm a kind of play the numbers sort of guy. And you look at the last couple of years and you see that this has not been a significant problem for most otherwise healthy small children. So I don't think I'm going to do that. Jeff, I have a 12-year-old. I really don't want to get vaccinated. But to attend his brother's wedding in Spain, we will have to. Yeah, because you need to fly in that. And that's a whole, I mean, that's a whole different story. I mean, if you have older children, you know, but of course the vaccines have been available to them for, for quite a while. And, and that's a decision that I know there's a whole different set of numbers. I think there's a lot more of adolescents who've been vaccinated. And I think you can make a stronger case for the vaccination of adolescents than you can from from the numbers of the small children. Again, if you look at what the consequences are and you try to do the risk benefits. So I'm not surprised at these numbers. And I think especially when it's something new, sometimes, especially when you're talking about small kids, people take a wait and see attitude. All right. It is that time of the day. We've got Pop Culture Corner coming right up. But first, it's 2.30. Let's go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Here's Jane Matinair.